John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance and do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The ax is already at the root of the trees and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. What should we do then, the crowd asked. John answered, anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none, and anyone who has food should do the same. Even tax collectors came to be baptised. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? Don't collect any more than you're required to, he told them. Then some soldiers asked him, and what should we do? He replied, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. The people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Messiah. John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And with many other words, John exhorted the people and proclaimed the good news to them. But when John rebuked Herod the Tetrarch because of his marriage to Herodias, his brother's wife, and all the other evil things he had done, Herod added this to them all. He locked John up in prison. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Amen and thanks be to God for his word. The reading was from Luke chapter 3 and verses 7 to 22 if you want to look it up later. Well, this first Sunday of lockdown, I, I struggled because I wanted to bring folks some reassurance, something that I could show you that I could put out on the DVDs and the internet that would bring some comfort to you. What I brought, well, I didn't bring it, it was here already, is this thing here. It's a font, the font. Many of you were baptized in it. Obviously, I wasn't. The font I was baptized is somewhere in Uddingston, and different fonts will be different places for different one of us. Don't worry this morning. I'm not actually got a baby here to baptize, and I'm, I'm not going to do a virtual online baptism or anything like that. But I want to invite you just to think for a moment. Not about where you were baptized. That doesn't matter. Not about when. Um, most of us were baptized as children. Colin was sharing um, that he was baptized when he was 18. Not any of that, just this one fact. You were baptized. You are baptized. That's who you are. Martin Luther, the, the, the reformer who started the Reformation, was a man who suffered sometimes from despair. He had a, a, a propensity to depression. 
He also struggled with huge guilt about all the things he hadn't done and had done and, and massive doubts. We don't sometimes think of great preachers and great leaders suffering from these things, but they do. Martin Luther used to say to himself very often, I have been baptized. That's who I am. And that got him through so much. In fact, sometimes he'd shout it out loud as if he was shouting it to the devil, telling the devil to get lost. That's who I am. Sometimes he would take chalk and write it on the table. I am baptized. I have been baptized. I belong to Jesus. I'm secure in what he has done for me. That's who I am. In fact, he actually said it in German or in Latin. I don't know whether that helps or not, but nothing can ever take away from you the fact that you have been baptized into the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In fact, I want to give you a challenge. One of the things that defines the church is that we are the people who have been baptized. So maybe we could do that for each other. What about writing somewhere on a bit of paper, chalk it on the table if you like, just those words, I have been baptized, and take a photograph of yourself with that. And if you, if you send those in, what we'll do in coming weeks is we'll put at the beginning of the service pictures of parts of this congregation with those words that remind us that we together are the people who have been baptized. It's very important. At one point, Paul was writing to the Galatians, and the Galatians were being told all sorts of non-truths. They were being told that they weren't good enough, they weren't real Christians, they hadn't been circumcised, they weren't living the Jewish law the right way. And, and Paul simply said to them this, all of you who have been baptized into Christ are clothed with Christ. And here there is not Jew or Greek or slave or free or man or woman. You're all one in Christ. As if he was saying, the externals don't matter. It doesn't matter whether your life just now is filled with blessings and good things or just filled with tough things and hardship. What matters, what can get you through all of that is simply knowing that you belong to Jesus and nothing could ever separate you from that. Today's passage is all about baptism. And it comes in the face of John the Baptist, the cousin or the second cousin of Jesus. I don't know if you've got cousins. As I'm learning in this congregation, half of you are cousins. Everybody seems to be related to one another. I've got lots and lots of cousins. We don't really keep in touch very much because there's so many of us. But it's a thought that Jesus had a cousin. And as Jesus was growing up in Nazareth in obscurity, his cousin John was actually becoming something of a celebrity, a religious rock star. The crowds were going up to John. Maybe your cousin's a bit weird. John was certainly a weird cousin. He had long hair. He had awful dress sense. He wore camel skins and leather belts and he ate bugs. Well, I've got a cousin that does at least two of those three. But whatever John was doing, he was pulling in the crowds. He was popular. Everybody wanted to be baptized by John. As preachers go, John was very successful. The message was hitting home. He was telling people that they were sinners and they needed to repent. And they were saying, yes, we are. And yes, we do. Most ministers would love to be like John. Bold, prophetic, and yet somehow popular at the same time. If John had a church, his church would have been full. 
I'd love to be like John. Well, maybe not the long hair and the bad food, but apart from that. So you can imagine the crowds going to John. If it had been modern times, they'd all be there with their, their I love John t-shirts. And they were beginning to ask big questions of John. John, are you the Messiah? John, are you the answer? John, are you the one that we're really looking for? John, is this it? And John, he simply said, no. It's not about me. It's about him. You might think I'm a big celebrity and I'm a a brilliant preacher and I've got all the answers, but you haven't met my cousin yet. First time I met him, John might have said, oh, (sighs) he wasn't even born. He was in his mother's womb when I met him, but first, in fact, I was too. But something about him just made me leap with joy. It was amazing. And my cousin, my cousin's got two feet and his feet, they can get smelly at times. They can get so smelly that his followers don't want to wash them. They smell so bad, but you know what? I'm not even worthy to get down and take his sandals off. He's just so amazing. I can point out your sins. I can give you some hope. I can baptize you, but he can forgive your sins. He can be your hope. He can give you a new birth that changes everything. You just wait till you meet my cousin. John's challenge is, I suppose, not just a challenge for preachers. It's a challenge for us all in the church today. Can we get as excited about Jesus as John did? Does he mean so much to us that when we hear his name, we want to leap for joy? Do our lives point to him the way that John's did? Does our church point to him? Is he our hope for Scotland? Is he the best thing that could happen to Scotland? You know, I, I yearn for a successful church and even in these days of lockdown, we're thinking about how we might be a better church when things get somewhat back to normal, how we can be a real fellowship, how we can reach out with renewed strength. And all these things are are very important, but the biggest question we have to ask ourselves is does all we do and all we believe and all we say and all we sing, does it point people to Jesus? Are we excited about him? Because the danger is that we always get to a a mindset which says it's the church that's important. If only we could get back to church. If only we could get more people to come to church. If only we could have the choir back and this back and that back. Life would be better. But here's the thing. The church is not the answer. Jesus is. The church is not the savior or the Messiah or the thing that's going to transform lives. Jesus is. And so what we need to be doing is always pointing to Jesus. The other character mentioned in this story is Herod, the king. He was a son of Herod that is mentioned in the the Christmas story, the one that killed the children. 
The strange thing about this Herod, and we learn this in the accounts of John, just little bits in the Gospels, is that he'd become a bit of a fan of John. He might not have bought the I Love John t-shirt, but he was certainly intrigued by this prophet. He wanted to know more. He invited John to come to the palace and tell him more. I suppose it'd be a bit like a minister getting invited to Crathy to preach before the queen. Bit of an honor, really. You might try to think what you can say, what would, what, what is the type of sermon that she might like to hear, but... You see, when John went to Crathy, he just went for the jugular. He said the stuff that the king didn't want to hear. To fill in a little bit of the background, Herod had had a fling with a woman called Herodias. It might have been okay, except there was a few problems. He was already married to an Arabian princess, so the fling was not good. And to make matters worse, Herodias was also married and she was married to Herod's brother, so that was really not good, and if you really want to make matters worse, Herodias was also Herod's niece. It gets really complicated, but you can see that this was not very good. Folk will say things like, you know, love is love. Well, not always. Sometimes it's just not good at all. Anyway, John went to Crathy, as it were, to the palace, and there he was to give a sermon, and he said was what not politically correct he simply said, this is wrong. This does not please God. But that was John. Not only popular, but someone who was willing to say the difficult things. And in fact, as you read this passage, you can see he said more than that. He didn't just talk about sexual sins and immorality. He talked about inequality. He encouraged people to share what they had. He talked about greed and people taking more than they needed. He was faithful. He was, as the church should be, talking about social justice, talking about right and wrong, talking about what God wants. But in the end, John wasn't remembered for any of that. He was remembered for one thing and one thing only, pointing to Jesus. The end of this passage is really the key bit he gives us this image, John standing there baptizing, a long queue of people coming, and John says to each one, you're a sinner, you need to repent, baptized, next. You're a sinner, you need to repent, baptized, next. You're a sinner, you need to repent, baptized, next. And then, uh, wait a minute, cousin, you're not a sinner. You don't need to repent. What are you doing in the queue? And yet the mystery of this is Jesus was baptized. Jesus stood in the queue with the sinners. Just as Jesus stands with us and shares our lot. And at that point, Luke tells us that there was this amazing vision. It was as if the heavens themselves were opened. They were split apart. And the Holy Spirit descended like a dove on Jesus. And a voice came from the Father above and said, You are my son whom I love. I am pleased with you. There's two pictures here that we always need to hold together as Christians. Jesus the man 
standing in the queue with the sinners, just like an ordinary one of them, like the queen queuing up for a vaccine, just like the rest of us. And Jesus, the Son of God, standing there at the moment with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, the people that were there at that moment being given a glimpse, not just of something that was a bit godly, but being given a glimpse into the life of God himself, always Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. When we say God is love, it's because from the beginning of all eternity and before, the Father loved the Son through the Spirit, one God, three persons forever. A glimpse we're given into this inner life of God, the love of the Father for the Son through the Spirit forever and ever and ever. And yet also a glimpse that what is being revealed here is not just something for us to know about, but something for us in our baptism to relate to. As you and I are invited to become children of the living God, to experience God as he really is and to know his power and his presence. That's why to go back to the beginning, our baptism is important. We are baptized into the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, those three persons that we saw there together in the baptism of Jesus, the Son who gives his life for us. The Father who created us, the Spirit who fills us, caught up in that relationship with God. That's the center of who we are. The church is not a building, a set of activities, a social program. It's not even a way of life. It's Jesus standing in the middle of us, inviting us into this relationship with the eternal Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And as Jesus stands in the queue with us, needing that baptism of repentance and forgiveness, so there is a sense that he offers to us the words of the Father that came to him baptized people. You are my son. You are my daughter. With you, I am well pleased. And nothing, nothing, nothing can ever separate you from that. Paul will say, if God will give up his own son for you, then he will give you whatever you need. This year, we don't know what we're going into. It may be a year where things get better and better. I pray that it will be. Or it may be a year that's tougher and tougher. But I want to give you this. Remember that you are baptized. Know it. Be secure in it. For if you know Jesus Christ, you are his Chalk it on the table. Shout it when you're in trouble. Take a selfie. Declare it. Let the world know that you are a person who is baptized into Jesus. 
For even if we can't do church as we want to do church, and even if we sometimes doubt his blessings, nothing will ever take that from us.